Good morning. Please open up your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. One of the um, uh, one of the things that you like to do when you preach at another church is you talk to the pastor afterwards and you tell them something encouraging about the church. And uh, this church is never hard to share something encouraging about. Um, I tell Pastor Ryan, you guys all have such a hunger for God's word. It's evident. And you're also very encouraging. So uh, it's always good to be back here with all of you. Um, I'm looking forward to getting in God's word. And so it's Psalm 63. And before we get started, let's pray. Father, you know that we are creatures of habit. You know how easy it is for us to get up on Sunday morning and come to church and turn all of this into a ritual. God, we don't want that to be the case this morning. But Father, we pray that you would remove all of the distractions We pray that you would give us hearts that are eager to hear from you. God, I pray that you'd be pleased to manifest your presence now. And Lord, I am uniquely aware of how much I need you right now. God, would you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? God, thank you that your power is made perfect in weakness. I acknowledge my weakness before you today, God, so that you would show your power. Father, I pray for any who don't know Jesus that today would be the day that they surrender all to him. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said? Amen. Amen. Well, our passage today in Psalm 63 deals with desires. Desire is what life is made of. If you, if you don't desire, you're not breathing. You've never done something from a neutral frame of mind. You're always desiring something which is leading you to do something. What you do is based off of what you desire always. And, and your desires are often triggered by your surroundings. I mean, you're driving in your car and you see a 30-foot billboard for a jelly donut lather in vanilla frosting and you think, donut. Or you are cruising through your neighborhood and you smell someone grilling ribs and you all of a sudden find yourself thinking, I got to get my grill out. Or, or someone tells you about an amazing vacation that they just took, and now you desire to take a similar type of vacation. The, the bottom line is you're always desiring something. You're never neutral. You're constantly desiring something all the time. Now, you were created to desire one thing above all other things. In fact, listen, 
all other things that you desire are meant to enhance your desire for this one thing, God. Now, because of our battle with sin, our desires are often misdirected. Instead of desiring God, we turn good things that God gave us to enhance our desire for Him, and we turn those good things into God things that end up distracting us from Him. Listen, whatever you desire more than anything else is your functional God in the moment. And our desires are continually changing, so our functional gods continually change as well. If you have to have this thing in order to be happy, that thing is functioning at that moment as your God. Now, Jesus came over 2,000 years ago to reorder our desires. He died for your sins to direct your desires more and more toward God. He died to show you that all things on earth are desirable, that are desirable, are only desirable because they point to the one who is infinitely desirable. I just have some questions for you before we continue. What have you been thinking lately that you have to have in order to be happy? What do you tend to turn to as your functional God? What's that thing of ultimate value that takes place in your heart instead of God? What things do you tend to turn into God things? What most easily becomes your God substitute? It's not if we struggle here, it's how we struggle. This is, this is the battle of the human hearts. Do you say, I, I have to have this job? I have to have this certain amount of money. I have to have this particular relationship. I have to have sex. I have to be physically attractive. I have to be liked by others. Or for the more spiritually mature, and here this one may go under your radar, I have to be perceived as godly by others. What becomes your God substitute most easily? Now, as we get into Psalm 63, allow the Lord to direct your desires toward Him afresh. Grow in understanding that all desirable things are designed by God to enhance your desire for Him, not to distract you from Him. 
And know that when the heartbeat of your life is to desire God, your desires are functioning correctly. In other words, whenever you're not desiring God above all things, our desires are out of whack. You see how much we need a Savior. But when you are desiring God, you're experiencing true life. Now look in your Bibles at Psalm 63. We're going to read the title as well because that's part of the inspired Word of God. A Psalm of David. When he was in the wilderness of Judah, David writes this psalm during an intense trial. You'll see that more clearly in verses 9 through 11. It's probably when his son Absalom revolted against him and was trying to overtake the kingdom by force. Regardless, the context of this psalm is King David is suffering intensely. And I want you to see what he knows to do. Look at verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. When you desire something that you do not have, you long for it. You anticipate having it. And it's in the longing that you begin to desire that thing even more. You all understand this. In fact, there's a pleasure that we experience in simply longing for something. For example, there'd be a huge difference if I was to walk up to my kids this afternoon and say, uh, Mom and I just decided we're going on vacation in two hours, so pack up your stuff and let's head on out. There'd be some shock value. They'd be excited. But how different would it be if I had sat down with my kids five months earlier and said, hey, listen, Mom and I got great news for you. 
we're going to be going on vacation, and here's what we're going to do, and we're going to do this on this day, and, and here's some pictures, and, and here's some stories of people who've been there. What would be the difference between those two scenarios? Well, my kids would begin to enjoy the vacation before they even got there, and they would enjoy it more because the longing in the waiting would heighten their pleasure. Now, Jesus died and saves us to give us hearts that long for God. We long for Him in deeper and more profound ways. And we, because of this, we yearn for God, especially when He seems distant from us. We all know what that's like. And it's in those times in particular when God is seeming distant that you need to continue to first point, long for God. Look again at verse, the beginning of verse 1. David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Now, David is in a difficult situation here, and he, in the midst of this, desires God above all things. He says, earnestly I seek you. You you need to understand, David is not simply pondering spiritual thoughts about God in a casual way, and he's not throwing up quick popcorn prayers. He knows that he needs God desperately. He says, earnestly, I seek you, God. Above all other things, I need you. He he understands, I must have God. Look again, verse 1. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, when I was a kid, I used to get together with my friends on hot summer days and run around in the park for hours and hours. I remember I would be drenched with sweat, dripping sweat, and all of a sudden, it would hit me under the blazing sun, I need water. I'm thirsty. Listen, like your body thirsts for water, your soul is supposed to thirst for God. That's what it means to be a human that's not broken by sin. This world is a scorching desert apart from God. And as you walk through it, thirst for Him, long for Him above all else. There's no filling of the soul by handfuls of sand. And that's what we're surrounded by apart from God. Look at verse 2. David continues. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power 
and glory. What's happening here is David is remembering a time in the past where he was worshiping God in the temple. And he was being captivated by God's power and by God's glory. You guys are familiar with that. Sometimes you, you come to church and you are uniquely captivated by the power and glory of God. And that's what he's remembering. You know, it's, it's one thing to have head knowledge. God's powerful. God's glorious. But it's an entirely different thing for your heart to be locked into the reality that God is all-powerful and worthy of all glory. As David remembers past times when he was close to God, he's strengthened to continue to long for God right now in the presence. Now, sometimes you're going to feel closer to God than other times. You may be here this morning and you may say, I've never felt so close to God as I do right now. And for others of you, you may say, it's been a while since I felt close to God. When you're feeling distant from God, one of the ways to stir up your faith is to remember times in the past where God has shown you, allowed you to experience His power and glory. One thing that I've reflected on over the years when I've felt distant from God has to do with when my wife Barbie and I were living in the city, we were renting out a floor of a three-flat. And one day I was doing the laundry. Well, before I say that, let me just say this time, early on in my marriage, money was scarce. And I was battling with anxiety about it on a daily basis. And so anyway, I'm doing laundry, and there's a shared laundry room in the basement of this three-flat, and I go to the dryer, and I open up the dryer, and on top of my clothing is a $20 bill laid flat. My first thought was, that's really weird, because if I had an extra $20 bill, I would have known about it because money was that scarce. But let's just say somehow this $20 bill was in my pocket and I totally had forgotten about it. I would have thought that that $20 bill would have stayed even deeper in my pocket from being in the washer getting wet. It wouldn't be lying flat on top of my clothing. I'll just tell you, I believe God was showing me in my battle with anxiety, his power and his glory. Now, you may be thinking, ah, for my skeptical friends out there, kawinky dink. <laughs> the next week, I was doing laundry. I walked downstairs. I opened the dryer. 
a flat $20 bill was lying right on top of the clothing again. It's never happened again in my whole life, but it happened two weeks in a row. And I'll just tell you, we did not know our neighbors. Nobody even knew we were in need of money. I just had such a profound sense of God's power and his glory being displayed. And as I've reflected on that, it's helped to reignite my faith so that I could be closer to God. Look at verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. John Piper, reflecting on this particular verse, says the following, particularly the part where he says, your steadfast love is better than life. This means that David wanted God more than he wanted life. And if you want God more than you want life, then you want God more than you want all the joys of this life. Family, health, food, friendship, sexual relations, job satisfaction, productivity, books, skateboards, computers, music, homes, sunsets, fall colors. When David says that the love of God is better than life and therefore better than all the beauty that life means, he's not denying that all these good things come from the love of God. He's warning us, rather, that if our hearts settle, even gratefully, on the beauty of the gift, And do not yearn for the infinitely greater beauty of the giver, then we are idolaters and not worshipers of God. We are to long for God, grow in understanding what it means to long for God and in the process you will intensify your desire, your pleasure. In 1965, there was a song that came out that was considered to be one of the greatest rock hits of all times. This song was so popular, and in fact, it still is so popular to this day, that out of the top 500 greatest rock songs on a list, The last time I checked, this song was placed in the number two spot. The group that sang the song was Rolling Stones, the lead singer, Mick Jagger. I wonder if anybody knows the song. I can't get no satisfaction. I know my grammatically correct people are struggling with that title, uh, but uh, I can't get any satisfaction. But uh, I can't get no satisfaction. Such a popular song, and it still strikes such a chord with people. It's like when people hear that song, they just kind of stop and ponder. 
It strikes a chord with us because we can all relate to what he's saying, right? We try and we try and we try and we try and there's still no satisfaction. Where is it? Now, why is that? It's because we keep seeking satisfaction from everywhere else but the one place where true satisfaction is found, and that's in God. Jesus died so that you'd not only long for God on a daily basis, but that you would also seek satisfaction in Him right now in the moment. Understand this. When you desire as you should desire, when your desires are functioning correctly, you will always, listen, always, second point, Seek satisfaction in God. Look at verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. I love to gather together with my family. I love to invite a person or a few people who don't have any family as well and bring them into our home. And I love to have a good meal. I mean, you know, you're walking around the house and you smell the hot rolls and the, the stuffing and the turkey and sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top. And then there's apple pie and pumpkin pie and whipped cream. Does anybody like whipped cream as much as I do? I just love whipped cream. There's never enough whipped cream. And, but, but all of this stuff is happening in the house, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and, and you're, you're longing for this food for hours, right? Because a Thanksgiving meal takes a while, and you're longing and longing for it, and finally everybody gets seated, and you're like, all right, let's eat. And then you fill up your plate, you dig in, and you satisfy yourself in that meal. And everybody knows what it feels like. There's this sense of relaxation. There's this comfort that we physically enter into. We, we get relaxed. Now, the satisfaction that you experience from eating an excellent meal is just a tiny, tiny, tiny taste of what it's like to experience satisfaction in God. As your body is satisfied with food, David metaphorically speaks of God, and he says, look again at verse 5, he says of God, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. 
When he talks about fat and rich food, that's his way of referencing the top of the line foods. This is the, the best of the best, and therefore this food will bring the greatest degree of physical satisfaction that food could bring to you. Being in God's presence, somebody needs to be reminded of this today. Somebody needs to learn this. Maybe you've never experienced it. Being in God's presence is a feast for your soul. Your soul is designed by God to feast on His goodness. And this metaphor that David gives about food is meant to help you. You know, all of these metaphors in the Bible, this is the principle. God goes from the known to the unknown. We know what it's like to be satisfied by a Thanksgiving meal. We don't all know what it's like to be satisfied in God himself. And so God is saying, let me take you, let me tell you about something you know about. Now make the connection to this thing that you don't know much about. And we all know very little about what it truly means to be satisfied in God. But this is what God's word is calling us to. He's calling us to be satisfied in God. When you're satisfied in God, you are worshiping God. I wonder what your understanding of worship is. Like some people, might, you might have a, a dry and, you know, heartless understanding or, or it might just be all about singing songs. No, worship ultimately in the Bible is, is being satisfied in God. And we just do that in a, a wide variety of ways. And, and when you are worshiping God, the natural overflow of your heart will be to praise God. You won't be able to help it when your heart is truly being satisfied with Him. Stuff's going to come out of your mouth called praise. That's why I look at verse 5. He says, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You were made to desire God. He's the greatest pursuit. Whatever you're pursuing in life right now, young people, young people, you got a lot of life ahead of you, making a lot of decisions. Whatever you're pursuing in life right now, older people, maybe you're getting ready to retire, you got a lot ahead of you. Whatever you desire, nothing is worthy of desiring more than God. That's what you're designed for. He is the greatest pursuit. Everything that you seek should find its culmination in God because God is, listen, God is the source of all satisfaction. Everything that is ultimately satisfying is satisfying because it has its root in God. Now, if you're like me, I've heard a lot of sermons over the years and before becoming a pastor. I was sitting in church and listening and growing. And, and I remember at times hearing things taught from the Bible and thinking, 
But how exactly do you live that out in daily life? Like practically speaking, how does that look? What does that look like? I, I mean, you know, a related verse to the topic that we're talking about here is 1 Corinthians 10.31. This is my family verse. We say it around our dinner table all the time. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You ever think about that verse? That's a pretty significant verse in the Bible. Doing everything to the glory of God means worshiping God. It says, but so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, like how do you practically live that verse out in the minute details of life? What does that look like? Well, here's how. You need to connect everything that's satisfying in life, apart from sin, to God. Connect it all to God. Now, I can go off in the woods and I could pray for a couple hours and satisfy my soul in God, or I can get away for a weekend retreat and satisfy my soul in God. But that's not normal life. Most of life is not like that, right? You got life to live. So the way you satisfy your soul in God is by connecting everything in day-to-day life that's satisfying with God, since He's the one who's ultimately providing that for you. James says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You see, these good, satisfying things in your life, they didn't just pop up out of nowhere. And God is not a deistic God who wound up the watch of the universe and just let it go. No, God is intimately involved in all of the good and satisfying things that are occurring in your life moment by moment. That's how much He cares about you. Just as God determines to keep your heart beating moment by moment, He determines every satisfying thing that comes into your life moment by moment. And so God wants us to learn to connect the good things that He's bringing into our lives to Him. Some examples would be when you experience the satisfaction of someone giving you a hug or someone smiling at you, a perfect stranger. They may not even be a believer. Or someone saying a kind word to you. Connect that experience to God as the one who is ultimately providing that good gift to you. Trust me, that's not coming from the devil. And when you do that, when you connect these good things, these desirable, these satisfying things to God, your heart will begin to worship Him and you will find yourself praising Him. Learn to connect everything that's satisfying in human relationships with God. The kindness and laughter and companionship of relationships 
Connect everything that's satisfying in creation, the warm sun, beautiful trees. When you wake up and the birds are whistling, when you see a sunset, when you see a rainbow, bright stars at nighttime, good foods, fresh smells. Connect all of that to God. He's the creator who's providing all good things for you. I wonder if you have that understanding of God. Again, He is not a removed God up in heaven. You understand? God is as close as the air that you breathe. In Him we move and live and have our being. The Bible says in Psalm 119.97, all things are your servants. So learn to connect all of these good things to God. And you will be satisfied in Him. The key word is connect to God. Now, the more you find satisfaction in God, now this is how it works, spiritual growth, this is how it works. The more you find satisfaction in God, the more your mind will naturally drift toward God. Isn't that how it works with sin? The more sin is satisfying you, don't you just kind of go into, like when you're in neutral, don't you kind of just veer over toward that sinful desire? It's the same thing spiritually. When you're satisfied in God more and more, you will naturally drift toward greater degrees of satisfaction in Him. And this will happen at all times, not only during the day, but even throughout the night. I wonder how many know what it's like to wake up multiple times throughout the night and just the first thing you do is you just, you're praising Him. You're thanking Him. You're worshiping Him. Just, it's, it's, you don't even think about it. It's just the very first thing that happens. And, and David describes this. Look at verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. When your desires are directed toward God, you'll long for Him. You'll also seek satisfaction in Him, but there's, there's another thing to consider because our world is full of evil, and troubles. And in order to keep your desires directed toward God, you need to, third point, rest in God's protection. You're in a world where you need to be protected. And you won't be able to have your desires functioning properly unless you learn to rest in his protection. Look at verse 8. King David says, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his pain, my soul clings to you. Brothers and sisters, be a clinging Christian. 
Cling to God, no matter what you're facing. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, he's talking about God's right hand, metaphorically, of course. But when we look at human hands, what's the truth about our hands? I don't care how big your hands are, how, how you know, some have bigger sausage fingers than others. But, like, it doesn't matter how big your hands are. Human hands, relatively speaking, pretty weak, can't do much. But God's hands, they're infinitely large. He upholds the universe with his hands. And these are the hands that we find protection in. You can rest in the hands of God today. He will protect you. Verse 9, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Now we have Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Jesus this morning, let today be the day where you turn from your sin and surrender your life to Jesus. But when we have Jesus Christ, when we have embraced him as our Savior, we know how the story ends. We operate from a place of victory. We know that God's enemies will not prevail, even though it may look like it for the moment. God's plan is to win. He already won through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now that victory is just being played out. And, and in, the, in this process of trusting in our resurrected Savior, God will protect us, and He does protect us from countless things that those apart from Jesus don't get protected from. We should praise God for that every day. How many things did God protect me from today that I don't even know about? I'm just going to start thanking God for the ways He protected me that I'm not even sure how it happened. But, but listen, God does often protect us from harm, but we all know that we're not always protected from harm. And even when God allows the pain, the heartache, I'm dealing with that in my church right now. One of my elders his wife is 44 years old. They got four young boys. She found out a month and a half ago, something's not right with me. She goes to the hospital, and within a day, she finds out she has a tumor in her lung, three tumors in her brain. Two of the tumors in her brain cannot be removed. So she already had brain surgery cut open her skull, stitched her back up, and they only could take one out. She still has two. This is happening in my church right now as we're turning a corner from the pandemic. 
She doesn't know if she'll be able to see. She doesn't know if she's going to be able to walk long term. She doesn't know if she's about to die. But what she does know and what her husband knows, and praise God, what even her boys know, is that even when God allows the harm, the pain, he will ultimately protect us. Meaning, he will keep us believing. He will keep us in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He will keep us in the love of God, and he will keep our souls eternally secure where we'll end up in a place where there will be no more crying or tears or sorrow or pain, no more sin. And that's, that's our future. And that's what God calls us to be strengthened by. So listen, listen, brothers and sisters, remember this. Your desires, my desires, are constantly needing to be reordered by Jesus. We're struggling all the time. But as we are trusting in Jesus, God will help us to long for Him, to seek satisfaction in Him, and to rest in His protection. Remember those three things. Grow every day in longing for God. Seeking satisfaction in God. Remember, connect it to God as the ultimate provider of that good thing and rest in his protection. Let's pray. Father, we still ourselves before you right now. Thank you for Psalm 63. Thank you for the testimony of David that even though he was running for his life and his life was in turmoil, that he knew to seek his satisfaction in you. He knew to long for you and he even knew how to rest in your protection. Father, I pray that you would make Anchor Church a church that longs for God, that seeks satisfaction in God right here, right now, that rests in your protection. I want to invite you, if God has put it on your heart, that you just your desires have not been directed toward God the way that you know they needed to be. I want to invite you to just stand and I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to say, praise God, praise God. Listen, and brothers and sisters, there's no shame in this. The church is the place where we acknowledge that we're weak. Praise God. If it, Good, praise God. If, if you're saying, ah, my desires, they've been going in the wrong direction, and I need today to be a turning point for me. I want to invite you to stand. Is there, is there anyone else? Anyone else? Praise God. Good. Good. Praise God. Praise God. Good. 
That's good. We, we all struggle. I just want to pray for you. I want to, I want to help you. Praise God. You know, the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It, if pride is holding you back from being prayed for, just overcome that and just stand up. There's no shame. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, we're all weak. We all struggle. It's a hard world to live in. The devil is real. Let me pray for all of you. God, I thank you for the humility that's on display here right now. Jesus, you said everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And Lord, I thank you that you're going to be lifting my brothers and sisters up higher and higher into your presence as they've humbled themselves. Father, I pray that you'd protect them from the evil one. I pray, God, that their desires would be locked into your reality, your love, that they would see that your steadfast love is better than life. Delight them in you afresh today, God. Father, whatever that functional God is for them, help them to identify it and to reject it as a distraction from the true God. Bless them, encourage them, God. Let me invite everyone else to stand as we continue to pray. God, we, we know that we were designed to worship you. And we understand that worship is not something that is a mere outward formality. It's not something that we even try to just pump ourselves up for. Worship, God, we understand, comes from the heart. It comes from the desires. And so, God, as we worship you through this last song for today, would you awaken within us fresh desire for you? Help us, God, to behold your power and your glory. 